0: When a person becomes a Christian, it's not running across the finish line, it's really coming out of the starting gate. Because when a person uh, uh, surrenders their life to Christ, what really happens is they begin a lifelong journey until that day they go home to be with the Lord. And part of that is growing in four areas. We call it becoming a fully developing follower of Christ. We say fully not because you arrive on day one, but you're growing in five areas of life. We say developing because, again, it continues until that day you go home to be with Christ. What are those five areas that a disciple of Christ is growing in? Well, a disciple of Christ is one, first of all, who is growing in what it means to worship God. They worship God privately. They worship God corporately. But most of all, they worship God with their very life, the very words that they say and the things that they do and the way they treat people is a worship unto God. The second W is that they contribute to God's work. They not only give of their finances and of their time and talent, but they also practice a relational stewardship, their influence on other people. The third way that a fully developing follower of Christ grows is that they live by God's word. This is not just to know God's Word. It's one thing to know what the Bible says and to be a student of it, but actually put your life under it where the Word of God becomes the authority for everything, for finances, for uh, communications, for family, for everything in your life. And then the fourth area is that you walk with God's people. In other words, you get into community with uh, other believers in such a way that you open your life to them and they open their lives to you and you encourage them and they encourage you. And then finally, a fully developing follower of Christ impacts God's world. They make a difference. They leave the world a better place than when they came into it. And that last W, the fact that a fully developing follower of Christ impacts God's world, is what we're gonna talk about these next few weeks. How we as followers of Christ can impact this world. Now usually when you think about impacting the world, you think of this huge thing, you think of this big movement, and I think a lot of times, Uh, we we mistakenly think that the way that you impact the world is to start big. The truth is, is the way you really impact the world is to start small. When Jesus came, he kept sending the crowds away because he knew that the way you impacted the world was not with the big rallies and the big crowds and the big politics. He called together 12 people to the side and he invested deeply in them. And because he invested deeply in them, the entire world was turned upside down. And so we're going to start small today, and today's message is entitled, Impacting Your Universe. Now, when I say your universe, I'm not talking about the stars and the planets, I'm talking about your universe, because everybody in here has got a universe. Everyone here has a sphere of influence. The biblical word for it is oikos, that's the Greek word, and the word oikos simply means household. Those folks that your life intersect with, those who are in your orbit. Uh, Jesus was once saying, that's what the greatest commandment was. And he said, well, the greatest commandment, of course, is to love God with all your being. But he said, the second commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And and they pressed him a little further. They said, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And you remember Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan about one who was walking down the road and there was a stranger on the side of the road who had fell among thieves who wasn't even of his nationality, wasn't even of his tribe or his clan. And he stopped to help him. And in doing so, Jesus was answering the question, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone my life intersects with. Your oikos, or your household, is made up of several different intersections. It is, first of all, common kinship. Your household is uh, those that you're related to. It's your mom, it's your dad, it's your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, So you have a common kinship with them, but it's also common interest. It may be somebody that uh, uh, their kid plays uh, ball with your kids on a a baseball team or a basketball team. Maybe that they uh, bowl where you bowl. There's a common interest. There's something about where your path goes and where their path goes that you find yourselves around those common interests. But it's also about a common environment. Those of you who are middle schoolers, you're in a a middle school and everyone in that middle school has potential to be a part of your oikos. In your neighborhood, the people who live to the right of you, the left, across the street and behind in the alley, they're part of your oikos. So it's common kinship, it's common interest, it's common environment. And so that combination makes up this group of folks that you know. Now the truth is, that of all the people you know and all the people that your life will intersect and my life will intersect, there are some who already know the Lord. And we're to have an influence on them. We're to encourage them. And we're to share with them. But there's also a portion of folks that you know who do not know the Lord. And that's what we're gonna be talking about in particular today, about how to impact those who don't know the Lord. Now, I hope this is not A good diagram of your oikos. I hope instead that your oikos looks more like this, that there are folks who do know him, but there's a lot of folks that you intersect who do not know him. Now, let me just say that some of you, this is your oikos. It's not so much by design. It's just the way it is. You go to school with a lot of students who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, You go to, uh, you live in a neighborhood where everybody, uh, you notice they're still sleeping in when you're leaving for church. You work in a place where you actually get persecuted because of your faith, and you've not been obnoxious about it or anything, you've not pushed it down anybody's throat, but they feel threatened by the fact that you have standards in your life that they don't have, and so they're projecting their guilt on you. Some of you are in families where you're the only believer, you're the only light in the darkness of your house. And here's what I believe. I believe that our God is sovereign, and that's not an accident. I, get, I believe that God has allowed you to be placed in that place so that you can impact that for Christ. But here's what I also know. I know, know that some of you have so engineered your life that it looks more like the first chart than the second chart. And you have avoided at all costs being around anybody who's not with the program. And where I believe that our best friends and the closest people to us and our deepest friendships ought to be on this side because we need to be around people who will love and support us for following Christ, we need to be touching the rest of the world and we don't need to isolate ourselves. Been a whole lot of talk about Ebola in the last 30 days. And we're also worried that we might contaminate ourselves and yet it's kind of funny, the, the media does kind of weird and crazy things with us. We get a little fearful because of the media. There has been one person in the continental United States who died of Ebola in the last 30 days. There have been 3,000 who have been killed on highways during that same time period. I'd stay away from the highway if I were you. <laughs> Just calling me crazy. But, you know, we, we get focused and everything. Well, sometimes we, we, we want to quarantine ourselves from lost people because we get afraid of lost people. They might pollute us. They might say a dirty word in front of us. And as a result, what happens is nobody catches what we want to be contagious, and that is Jesus Christ in this world. And I think we have to, in a prudent way, some of us to change our path so that we notice those people who are around us and we engage those people around us who do not yet know Christ. Now, here's the reality. Of those folks that you know who do not know Christ, about half of them fall into one category, and it's the half of the folks who are not interested in spiritual things right now. In fact, here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, do not cast your pearl before swine or they will turn and rend on you or they'll rip you apart. And he was saying that there are people right now, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, they're not interested in spiritual things. And so if you try to share the gospel with them, if you try to share the truth about how they could be made right with God, they're gonna treat it like a pig would treat a pearl and they're just going to stomp all over it, and they're going to attack you in the process. But there are also some folks that Jesus calls ripe fruit. He said the fields are right into harvest, and about half of the people you know who do not know Christ, I think you might be surprised that they're ready for what you have to say. And a part of having an impact on our world is to understand who fits in what category. And it's a real easy thing to do. It's a real easy thing to say something positive about the Lord or positive about God and just let it lay there. By the way, witnessing is more of a sentence most of the times than it is a paragraph. You don't have to preach a sermon to say a positive word about God. You say, didn't God make a beautiful day? Then zip it right there. Stop. Put the lure in the water and just roll it in slowly. And you can tell if someone fits into this category or that category. Someone can be going through a tragedy in their life and you can say, would it be all right if I prayed for you? Their response to that question will tell you a whole lot. Or if you say, you know, when I went through a similar time, uh, I don't know that we would have ever made it had we not had the Lord in our life. (laughs) Don't say anything else. Let it lay for a while. And what will happen is it will let you know what category that they're in. Uh, in the scripture, in uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 13, it says this. It says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salt again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown down and trampled underfoot. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He gives us two metaphors. The one metaphor is the metaphor of salt. What does salt do? Salt does several things. One thing, it's a preservative. It it keeps things from decaying. You're to be the salt in this world to keep it from decaying. But it is also to give taste to things. And and you put the right amount of salt, you put too much salt, people want to spit it out. But you put the right amount of salt, it will make people thirsty. There's a reason they serve you salted nuts at a bar, all right? (laughs) And for the person who is not interested in our message, we need to be salt. We need to live in such a way that would make them thirsty for God. To live in such a way, they, they need to look at our lives as we interact with them, as our life intersects with them, and they ought to think, that's the most generous person I've ever been with. That's the most gracious, the most kind, the most polite. That's the most helpful person. That's the most disciplined person. That's the person that has more integrity than anyone I know, and it ought to make them say, you know, I wish I had whatever they have in their life, and then they move from this category of not being interested to this category, you give a message to this person before you've been salty with them, they will turn and rend on you. And part of what it means to have an impact on our world is to understand who is in our world, who is in our universe and where they are in their progress to coming to Christ. But you know what, a lot of folks are here. You have more people in your life who are here already than you know. And some of them got there because mom or dad just died. And they're in touch now with their own mortality. Some of them are there because life's going pretty well for them and they're still empty. Some of them are there because they know you. And you've lived in a way, not perfect, but different. That they've become thirsty. And when they come to that place, the scripture says that we're to do something. Look in your worship guides, if you will, there in First Peter, the third chapter. First Peter, the third chapter, verse 15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this, now don't miss this, do this with gentleness and respect. We're to always do it in a way that honors their right not to talk about spiritual things. To go only as far as they're willing to go. Now, one of the things that I found that's really hard when we get to this point, when we begin to try to share with someone who, for whatever reason, has become curious spiritually, is beginning that conversation. And so I always find that it's, it's a less threatening thing to talk about church than it is to talk about God. And so one of the things that I just say, and if by the way, if you don't act like it's an unnatural question. They won't perceive it as an unnatural question. I always like to just talk about, I just say, Hey, how long you lived here? Well, I lived here. Where do you work? How many kids do you have? By the way, have you found a church in the area yet? It's like asking if you found a barber or grocery store. Have you found a church yet? And a lot of times people who are on this side of the equation, but who are here say, well, no, no, we really haven't used to go to church when I was growing up, but haven't been to church in years. And then I ask a diagnostic question. I say something like this. Well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever invited Christ into your life to forgive you and take control of your life, or is that something you're still thinking about? Now, the reason I say it that way is because if I say to somebody, are you a Christian? They can define what Christian means. Christian, for a lot of folks, means Uh, one of the blanks that's left that's not Buddhist or Muslim. Christian for some folks means American. (laughs) Christian for some folks meant I used to go to church. Christian for some folks means I believe that there's probably a God out there. But here's what Christian, according to the Bible, means. It means you've come to a point in your life where you've entered a unique relationship with Jesus Christ that you don't have with anyone else, where you're trusting him to forgive you because of what he did on the cross, and you're trusting him to be the Lord, the boss, the master, the controller of your life. And so I just put that in the question. Have you come to the point where you've asked Jesus to forgive you and take control of your life? And then notice that last little caveat. Or is that something you're still thinking about? Because here's what i found over the years. that if I say, have you invited Jesus Christ in your life to forgive you and take control? They're embarrassed that they haven't. And so they'll lie. Christians, uh, non-Christians will lie to you. By the way, Christians will lie to you too, but that's a different sermon. (laughs) And so just to make it easy and non-threatening, Have you done that, or is that something you're still thinking about so they won't be embarrassed about the fact they're not maybe as spiritual as they think they ought to be? Another great thing about that question is that there's no no answer to it. It's either yes, I have done that, or yes, I'm still thinking about it, and it leaves the door open for them to share. Now let me just very quickly say this. You are a part of a team, and you may not always be closing the sale See, some of you who are here today, you're not impacting your world, you're not talking to those people in your world who do not know Christ, and you're not talking to those who are ready for someone to talk to them about Christ, because you're afraid that you don't know what to say, and you're afraid you don't know how to tell someone out of the Bible how to be a Christian. That's okay. Here's what I found out. When someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, the best response is, I don't know the answer to that. But you know, I know a place where they do have the answer. And I want to invite you to come with me. Maybe we'll discover the answer to that together. We want to be a team with you. In the scripture, Paul is speaking, and he talks about how the play, parts that we always, each one of us play. And in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 6, he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. See, nobody can become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit's doing a work in their life. And if the Holy Spirit brings them to this place and he puts you in their orbit, he wants you just to do a part of it. And maybe a part of it is just saying, I endorse Jesus, or Jesus has been great in my life, or Christianity is wonderful. Or he may just want you to say what Andrew said to Simon Peter. Come see. Andrew had known the Lord one day. One day. And he didn't know all that Jesus was about, but he knew it was something special. And so he went to someone he cared about, his brother, and he said, uh, Come see. Can you say those words? Let's see if we can memorize those together. Come see. Let's all say it together. Here we go one, two, three. Come Come see. I think you can do it. See, that's all you have to be able to say to witness. But the scripture does say, be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that's within you. And anything that we can do to take our game up to another level, anything that we can do to to share with someone else how they might get to know Christ is always helpful. Now, I've been sharing Christ for a long, long time. When I was in the ninth grade, how many ninth graders or below have we got here today? Would you raise your hand if you're a ninth grader below? All right. When I was in the ninth grade... Our church said, hey, you need to witness. You need to be able to share your faith. And so they sat down, and they taught us how to explain of scripture, Romans six twenty three. It's a very easy scripture. And then that summer, we went on a mission trip to Cortez, Colorado. And they put us on a school bus, and they drove us down the middle of the streets of Cortez, Colorado, and they dropped us off by twos on street corners all through that city. And I remember I was scared to death. But they told me I could do it. And they told me I ought to do it. And so I walked up to this lady and I said, ma'am, can I tell you the greatest thing that ever happened to me? And she looked at me and she said, well, sure. And I shared with her about how I had invited Christ to in my life and I explained to her Romans six twenty three. And when I got through, I said, has anything like that ever happened to you? And she said, no, it hasn't. And I said, w- would you like to know how it could happen to you? And she said, yes, I would. And I pulled out a little pamphlet they had given me and I just read the instructions on the pamphlet. That's all I knew to do. And when I got through, I said, is this something that you're ready to do or is this something you need to think about some more? She said, I think I'm ready to do it. She knelt down and prayed on the sidewalk of Cortez, Colorado, invited Christ into her life. And as I'd been instructed, I got her name and address so I could turn it into the local pastor there so he could follow up. And I walked onto the street a a little further, and there was a guy about 21 years old leaned against his pickup truck. And I went through the whole thing again. And when I got to the end, I said, is that something you want to do today, or do you need to think about it some more? He said, I need to do that today. And he broke out crying and knelt down by his pickup truck and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. I'm ready to take on the world now. And there's two guys who are walking out of a liquor store with six packs in both hands. And I walked up to them and I told them how they could get to heaven, and they told me to go somewhere else. <laughs> and the bus came back by, and I was so disappointed and I was so upset that I had failed. And I sat on the steps of that motel and I cried and I said, God, what did I do wrong? And God taught me something that day that witnessing is sharing what you know about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and leave the results to God. Now, guys, there are people out there who are ready to hear. God's already done the work. He's already loosened the lid. He just wants us to be obedient. You can do more than you think you can do. The scripture, Romans 6.23, is such a great scripture to know and to have in your toolbox so that over a cup of coffee, because here's the truth is, most of you are not going to share Christ with anybody coming out of a liquor store in Cortez, Colorado. I know that. Most of you are going to share Christ with a neighbor. You've, all you do is walk over to a fence, someone you've known for five, six, seven years. Some of you are going to share Christ with a family member over a cup of coffee. And you're going to know when the time is right. And with gentleness and with respect, you're going to wade into there and see if they want to talk some more about it. And if you get stuck, you're going to invite them to church. You're not, your, your sharing is not going to be the way that I share. But I want you to be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that's within you. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Several years ago, in fact it was six years ago, we made a little video of what it might look like if you explained simply to someone how to become a Christian. And we thought it would be helpful. It's on our website. You can go there and watch it as many times as you need to watch it so that you could get better at sharing the good news. It's also there if you're here today and you've never invited Christ in your life so you could watch it again and listen to it so that you could know how you could be saved. And I want to just say this, some of you are here today and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. We're actually gonna show this little video clip. As we show it, if God speaks to your heart, when I invite the person on the video to pray with me, feel free to go ahead and pray. It counts, even if it's on video, all right? Let's watch it together. Now Jim, you've been to church with me a couple times. Do you have any questions? Well, it's been real interesting i'm just not sure what questions to ask okay well, let me ask you this uh, do you feel like you've come to a point in your life where you've invited christ into your life to forgive you and take control or is that something you're still thinking about i think i'm still thinking about it okay well, listen if you'd like i can take about five minutes and share with you how you could become a christian and that way if later on you decide to do that you at least have that information would that be all right yeah sure great i'll tell you what let's do Let's just take this right here and what I want to do is just share with you one scripture that comes out of Romans 6:23, and it's a verse that I think that if you understand that uh, you'll understand the whole Bible. It says the wages of sin is death. Now anytime you see that word death it means separation. If you've ever been to a funeral you notice that the person who's in the casket doesn't look like they're asleep it looks like they're dead. I mean there's a difference and it's because their body has been separated from their personality. The Bible says the wages or the results of sin is death. Now that word sin is a real easy word to understand. It simply is that middle letter I. It's when I'm in control of my life instead of allowing God to be in control of my life or when you're in control of your life. And it says the results of you being in control of your life is death. And that word death again means separation. If I was going to draw that, I might draw it like this where there's a great chasm here and on this side you're there or it could be me and on the other side of that chasm is God and that really is the dilemma Jim is that because we've been running our own life what we've done is we push pushed God out of our life and so here we are separated from God that created us a God that loves us very much a God who wants to teach us what's right and wrong a God who wants to be our partner in life and yet we pushed him out of our life because we want to be the God of our own life now, The question is, how does a person who's separated from God because of their own sin, their own self-control, how do they get back together where they're on this side over here and they're actually back together with God and God is your partner in life? Because I think that's what everybody really wants. Well, there's some folks that say, well, I know how you get back across there. You just build this bridge of good works. And if you can do enough, you can stack up enough good works that you can reach all the way across there. Jim, as you look at that bridge, does that bridge reach all the way back across? No. And the reason it doesn't is nowhere in the Bible does it say that if you do enough good things that you can work your way back to God. In fact, here's the rest of the scripture. It says the wages of sin is death, but it says the gift of God, and it is a gift, it's not something we earn, is eternal life. Now, if death is separation from God, then eternal life is living over here in union with God and that gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord now what it's saying is is that God wants to give you a gift and it's not a bridge that you build from your side over to God's side but instead it's a bridge that God has already provided and it's kind of a funny shaped bridge but I think you'll recognize it and it is the cross of Jesus Christ. So here we've got this little guy on one side of the chasm, and he's trying to get over to the other side of the chasm, and he can't do anything, he can't do it through knowledge, he can't do it through good works, he can't do it through going to church, but he can by crossing this bridge, in other words, inviting Christ into his life. Now, what does it mean to really invite Jesus into your life? Well, it's here in the scripture. It's a gift from God, and it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. First of all, it uses the word Christ to describe Jesus. Uh, Jim, do you realize that Christ was not Jesus' last name? It was not Mary and Joseph Christ and their son Jesus. But everybody called him Christ because that's the role that he played. He was the Christ. and The Bible tells us that the Christ was the one who came to pay for your sin and pay for my sin. You see, the, the results of sin is that we have to be separated from God unless somebody pays that penalty for us. What Jesus did when he came to die on the cross is he took upon himself all the sin that you and I have ever committed, all the lying, all the cheating, all the laziness, all the anger. He took it all upon himself, and when God looked at Jesus, he saw Jesus as if he was looking at us, and he was separated from God the Father because of the fact that he took our sins upon himself. When you were growing up, did your parents ever give you a spanking? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, mine did too let me ask you this did you ever have a friend that said hey next time you're about to get a spanking Jim just call me on the phone and I will come lay across the bed and I'll take all your spankings for you that never happened no it didn't happen to me either and that'd be a nice friend well that's actually what Jesus did for us the 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 results or the punishment for sin is that we have to stay separated from God forever unless somebody else takes our punishment And when Jesus died on the cross what he was really doing is he was taking our punishment for us and so to accept Jesus into your life is first of all to realize that Jesus has done something very special for you. He's taken the punishment of sin off of you and on himself. And if you realize that and you accept him as your Christ, as the one who pays for your sin, you become a real grateful person. You want to live for Christ the rest of your life because of what he's done for you. And so if you accept him as Christ, one day you'll stand before God and God will say, you know, why should I let you into heaven, Jim? and you will say, you know, I haven't done anything to deserve heaven, but Jesus paid for my sin. I'm depending on what he did on the cross and that alone to buy me a ticket into heaven. And God will say, right answer, Jim, come on in. Okay, so first of all, we've got to accept him as Christ, but also notice in the scripture it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word Lord is a real easy word to understand. It simply means boss. If you cross this bridge paid for by the death of Jesus and you are back in union with god because jesus has taken your sin upon himself and you no longer have to be separated from god you're in a partnership with god well if you're in a partnership with god guess who the senior partner is it's god okay the whole reason you were separated from the first place is because you wanted to be your own god if you enter back into a right relationship with god he has to be the lord or the boss of your life you know that scares some people they think well my goodness, I'm, I'm not sure I want to cross that bridge because I'm not sure I can be good enough. The truth is you're still going to make mistakes. You're not going to be perfect. You're not promising God you'll never do anything bad again. What you're saying is, is that God has every right to rule your life, and you're willing to let him do that. So that's really uh, how you become a Christian, is you realize that you're separated from God, that Jesus did what only Jesus could do to pay for a way for you to come back to God and to be willing to... Uh, to enter into a new relationship with God where he's the Lord of your life. Let me just ask again, do you you feel like you've crossed that bridge or do you feel like that's something you still need to do? I think that's something I still need to do. Okay. I want you to listen very carefully. Is this something that you need to think about some more or is this something you'd like to do today? I think it's something I'm ready to do. Okay. Any other questions about it? I don't think so. Okay. Why don't we just pray together? And I'm going to just invite you, Jim, just to pray out loud and just uh, tell God that uh, uh, you're sorry for your sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come in and take control of your life. I'll tell you what, Jim, why don't you just pray after me? And if these words express the desire of your heart, God will hear them and answer them. Just pray, dear God. Dear God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. Please come into my life right now. Please come into my life right now. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please take control of my life. Please take control of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jim, welcome to the family of God. Here's a question I have for you. Have you crossed that bridge? Didn't ask you if you knew the story. Everybody knows the story. There's a difference in knowing about God's love and experiencing God's love you would be cross that bridge. If you haven't crossed that bridge or if you prayed that prayer with Jim today and you cross that bridge today, let us help you start that journey of being a fully developing follower of Christ. Stop by the Connection Center and just say, I crossed the bridge today. And we'll help you. The first thing you need to do is to be baptized. That's just saying to everybody, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of it. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's the first thing that someone who's really serious about following Christ does. Uh, On our website, you can go to legpoint.org. You scroll on down. By the way, we have a brand new website that we launched this week. There's a little place down there that says Next Steps. Just click on Next Steps and then click on Salvation and you'll find this video if you want to watch it again, if you it would help you in sharing your faith with others. Just two steps, two clicks, legpoint.org, and then next steps, salvation. You can share more than you know you can share. We witness all the time. We go to a restaurant that we like, we recommend it. We go to a movie, we want to tell everybody about it. You already know how to witness. Witnessing is just telling what you already know about Jesus. And take a person as far as they're willing to go and as far as you can take them. And if you can't take them any further than they want to go, let us be a partner with you and we'll take them together. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of impacting our world. Help us to start with our own universe. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.